Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. Good morning, Wildwood. It is good to be back in my church. I've spent the last two weeks away. I was, had the privilege of going back to Lancaster, Texas, and going back to the very building that I grew up in, as a, the church building that I grew up in. Uh, not the same church, because the church is a body, not a building. Uh, the church body that I grew up in uh, has disbanded. They, they closed their doors, like so many churches, through COVID. Uh, but it allowed, so through the death of that church came the birth of a new one and a, a, a church that looks like the community that it's in. And so it was a blessing to be back in the building that I heard the gospel my whole life. Uh, and I pointed out that, you know, I, I knew where my seat was kind of off to the left here. And, and, and I knew in, right in the middle of the, uh, of the worship center, uh, is where I first believe the Lord called me to ministry 20, no, six, what was it, 20 something years ago? I can't even remember the math. 26 years ago, I think it was. Yeah, 26 years ago, at the age of 18, I believe that the Lord was calling me to ministry right there in the center of that worship center. So it was, it was excellent to be able to uh, come and preach for the first time from that pulpit. Uh, very different worship style. It's predominantly black church. My parents are the only white people that go to that church. And it was a lot of fun. Now, some of you knew what I was going to be expecting and said, you better come back because they got hype. And you know, sometimes I have to bring my own amens to this church. And that's a shame. But I did not have to bring my own amens to that church. It was a lot of fun uh, to preach there, preach the gospel there. And they were very generous, very gracious. And then, and then last Sunday, we went to uh, First Baptist Red Oak, which is the church that walked us through the loss of our daughter uh, in 2006. And so I, I hate to tell you this, but you are not the perfect church. Uh, First, Baptist Red, First Baptist Red Oak 2006 was the perfect church. Of course, you know, only to us. They had their problems and it was never perfect, but it was, that was the church that walked with us through the most difficult time in our life. And we got to, you know, interact, speak with, with several people that walked with us through that time. Like every church, it changes, right? It would be foolish for us to go uh, and, and say, well, why have you changed? <laughs> what happened? Like, like, you're not the church that we left. You're not the, the church that we recognize. Uh, praise the Lord, there's growth and there's change and there's new people being saved and brought into that church. There's life there. So that was really, that was really good. The Lord really gave us an opportunity. It felt like full circle for us on multiple fronts. Um, while we were gone, you know, people always ask me, how was your trip? My trips away are always great, just like yours. I mean, unless there's a tragedy, it, it, it's awesome uh, to be away. What do I do when I go away? I go to East Texas. This time I went to my uncle's cabin. He's just got property, like a hunting cabin. Uh, when I say cabin, it's really a house. But uh, it, it was just nice and comfortable. And we sat around a fire all day. My wife went with me. And I started a fire about nine or 10 in the morning, sat there until six o'clock at night when we went in and had dinner. And that's what I did all day. I pray, I read, I study, uh, I read the Bible, I read books. I just commune with the Lord. That's all I do on these uh, solo getaways. And the Lord always refreshes me, always uh, challenges me. Now, in this particular week, the Lord had us there in, in Texas at a time of a kind of a tragedy when you think about it, um, 
On Thursday night, we got word that a, that a, that a pastor that I served on sort of opposite ends of this Ellis County. Um, he, he served at a church in Ovilla. I served at a church in Ferris. We were about 20 minutes from each other. We weren't friends, but we sort of knew of each other and we were uh, friendly towards each other. Uh, he, he left that church. He went to a church in Fort Worth um, that I didn't know much about until I read this story. And this pastor, he's a young, pa- young man, 40 years of age, uh, wife and, and five kids. And all of this is public knowledge. I, I found out because it's, it came out in the news. But uh, he, he was pastoring a, a large, prestigious church. I mean, the, the guy that went on to pastor First Baptist Dallas, which you, you may be familiar with, it's a, one of the, 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 the largest, most impactful churches in the country, came out of this church. And, and so he, you know, he left this church and went to First Baptist Dallas. And so this guy is pastoring a church that's two miles from Southwestern Seminary, which is kind of a flagship seminary for the Southern Baptist Convention. And he's getting his doctorate there and he's, and he's, he's in, he's on the inside circle. You know, he's on the fast track. He, he's making a huge impact on, on the kingdom and was arrested Friday night for uh, driving under the influence. And, you know, he's got his minor child, a 14-year-old or 13-year-old child with him and an unlicensed gun in the car. It sounds really salacious. I mean, everyone has a gun in Texas. You know, when your dad gives you a gun and you don't register it, it's unlicensed. It's very salacious. I can see how he gets there. You know, it's Friday night. He's had a couple of drinks. His daughter calls him from a party. His wife's out of town. Dad, I need, I need you to come pick me up. He goes and gets, him, gets pulled over. I'm not justifying it. I'm just understanding how it could happen. It's, with, it, it, it's not like the guy's malicious. That happened a, about a week before we were there, and it came out the Thursday night that we were there, and you just see this giant fall. Right? You, you just see this pastor just tumble. I mean, he, his ministry, the Lord can do great things. He, can, he, he could rebuild it, but at this point, it, it seems very uh, dire. It seems somewhat hopeless. And um, in his statement, to the elders, he acknowledged, you know, he immediately resigned and he acknowledged that, that I've got some habits in my life that uh, I need to deal with, that I'm, I'm not dealing well with the stress of ministry. And so I've spent all week processing, why is ministry so difficult? Look, I went through West Point. I've served on active duty for seven years. I've deployed twice. I've done hard things. Why do I need to get away every week? And then this happens. I mean, I, why do I need to get away, uh, uh, get away a week every year? Why, why do I need that? It feels weak. Frankly, if I'm being honest with you, it feels weak for me to have to get away. And I think, why, th- th- if this was just a job, it would be easy. I've got good hours. I love what I do. And I do work more than Sunday, by the way. <laughs> I, I love what I do. Why is it so hard to be a pastor? Why, why do we see men like this young man, he's 40 years old, on the fast track, doing great things, fall? Why, why does that happen? Sin. Yes, sin. You're right. My sin and yours. And yours. 
yeah, you know, I started to process this. I started to think about, you know, God, why, why, why do I need this so much? And the Lord reminded me that for you, this place is a place of solace. This is a harbor in the storm. You come in from the world, you come in from the storms of life, you come in here and you are encouraged, you're loved, you are accepted for who you are. You are embraced, warts and all. If we're doing our job, right? We accept you, we love you for who you are. And you come in out of the storm and this is your safe harbor, week in and week out, and you're refreshed and you're sent out. And I realized, for me, this is much of my storm. And, and so my weeks away, my, those weeks away, that's my, that's my safe harbor. That's where I go to be with the Lord and be accepted for who I am, me and the Lord in that fire. You see what I'm saying? And I meet with other pastors uh, on a monthly basis, and this has been life-giving. And you ought to know that I am fighting hard for you. I'm fighting hard for this ministry. I'm fighting hard to protect what God is doing here. Because I know that Satan has a target on my back, and, and it is difficult to be a pastor of a church. And nothing would stop the momentum and the ministry of this church like a fall of the lead pastor. Am I right? I want you to know what I'm doing. So I get away on a, week, on a, on a uh, yearly basis. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how that would fly. I get away for a week every month. No. But I get away for a week every year, and I go and I just do business with the Lord. I'm not out, you know, jet skiing, although that's probably okay too. I'm sitting by a fire processing the Bible and reading books and praying. Then I meet with pastors in the Quad Cities every month. We have what's called Pastor's Table. These are gospel preaching pastors. There's about 15 of us. And, and it, is, it is wonderful to know that I'm not the only one who has critics and cynics and gossips and people that are trying to, to oppose and, and, and resist and wait me out. I was told that before I left. People waiting you out, Brian. Okay. So I just want you to know, and then I go to the gym every day, most days. I don't drink alcohol. I drink some, but I don't have an alcohol problem. I can see how that pastor, I can see how the ministry drives pastors to, man, out of, out of just nerves to think, I'll just have a drink, one drink. And that'll kind of calm my nerves. And then it's every day, and it's a couple a day, and, and then you've got a problem. And I want you, church, to know that I am fighting hard to make my ministry last. I, I read the other day that, that 80% of seminary grads, men who go into the ministry, quit within five years. 80% quit within five years. I'm 14 years in. I have, a, I have a desire to be 40 years in, 50 years in. But there has to be, you know, there ha I have to have good habits. I have to do things that make me healthy in body and mind and soul. And so if you want to know how my week went, that's how it went. Okay, It was productive. It was good. Um, it's not easy. And, and every bone in my body just says, Brian, you just need to be strong. Present an image. You're capable. You're strong enough. You're the right leader for this task. And then I think about 
I think about Paul who says, I boast in my weaknesses. I think the healthiest thing to do is be vulnerable and tell you, I don't have it all together. You have not picked the world's best leader. And, um, but, but what I hope is that you find that I'm faithful. Well, really what I hope is that Jesus finds me faithful. Amen? All right. I love you too. All right. Well, that took a lot more time than I thought it was going to. Let's turn here to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. If you've got your bulletin, I want you to do me a favor. Take, the, uh, take a pen, scratch out the title. It, was, it is, as you would see, standing in hope, standing in grace, hoping in glory. Well, scratch that. Now just do peace with God. Write down peace with God. We're only going to cover Romans 5.1. I had written a whole sermon for Romans 5, 1 and 2, and knew that this introduction was going to take a little while, but also this morning felt like my, most of my message was really about verse 1, but I had to get through verse 2, and I thought, why do I have to get through verse 2? I don't have to get through verse 2, I can just do verse 1, so we're going to do verse 1, chapter 5, peace with God. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you for gracious people that accept me as their pastor, flawed and all. And I thank you, Lord, for this congregation, flawed and all. I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful thing that you do in allowing vessels of clay to carry the gospel into the world. You use broken people like me and like us. And now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to fully grasp this alien concept that we have peace with God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Paul says there that since we have been justified by faith, do you see that that is past tense? Since we have been justified by faith, it's complete. It's already happened. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross is finished. And everyone who believes in him, who has faith in the work of Christ on the cross, meaning I see Jesus what you did. I know who you are. I see what you did. I believe in you. I believe that you are my righteousness. You have been justified. You have been declared righteous by God. Pastor Matt covered last week in verse 24, it is counted to us as righteousness. Faith is not just counted to Abraham as righteousness, but now it is counted to us as righteousness. Colin Cruz in his commentary says, justification is a completed act and one that is the basis of other blessings experienced by believers in the present that provides hope for the future. And we're going to get into that hope next week. But we have a completed act, the justification. It provides blessings for the present and hope for the future. In the words of R.C. Sproul, there are consequences to our justification. The first such consequence is that we have peace with God. Now, what is the natural state of man between, what is the natural state of the relationship between man and God? Yes, 
You were bright. If you listen to our culture, though, the natural state of man is that we're all children of God. God just loves us all, right? God, God is just smiling upon humanity, and he's itching for people to choose him. I think about the, the junior high boy at the middle school dance, just waiting. Will any girl pick me to dance? And that's God. He's just looking down. He's just saying, anyone, come on, would, would someone just choose me? That gives us a warm and fuzzy feeling, but what does the Bible say? The Bible consistently describes the relationship between man and God as one of strife, enmity, and war. In our natural state, we are at war with God. In our pre-converted, our fallen, non-believing, non-saved, unregenerate state, we are at war with God. Romans 1 through 3 painfully makes it clear that man in his sinful state does not seek after God. How much more clear can it be than Paul saying, no one seeks for God. None seeks for God. None is righteous. He does not desire God. He doesn't want to please God. And Romans 8, 7 says that we are in our fallen nature, living in the flesh, we are hostile to God. There's no neutrality. Okay, there's not a single person alive on this planet that is neutral to his or her, her creator. In our fallen fleshly state, we are hostile to God. Natural man does not run to God. He runs away from God. Think about an escaped felon. He is not looking for the nearest police officer to run into his arms. No, he evades him at all costs because he knows that justice awaits him. So it is with man in his fallen state. Some people will openly admit their hostility to God. You remember the, the stupid, dumb social media challenge of blaspheming the Holy Spirit where people got on Facebook and, and they declared they, they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. That was a Facebook or social media challenge. There are some people that are willing to openly admit their hostility toward God. But for most people, it takes a different tone, a self-congratulatory tone. They don't need God. They, don't, they think that he's irrelevant. Why would they even think about God? They think about God the way that they think about the tooth fairy. Sorry, parents. They don't think they need God because they have already achieved virtue and goodness on their own. God is for the frail, the weak, it's a crutch that's been said that God is a crutch for the weak. Religion is a crutch for the weak. And they make war with God. They think that they're indifferent, but they are at war with God. And it's not simply that, that sinners are at war with God, but in fact, the Bible tells us that God is at war with sinners. Romans 1 not only depicts man's attitude toward God, but it also depicts God's wrath toward sinners. God does not have warm, fuzzy feelings towards treasonous people who exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship his creation rather than him as the creator. God does not have a warm, fuzzy feeling about those that are at war with him. 
The great awakening pastoral giant Jonathan Edwards is perhaps most famous for his sermon titled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Where would a pastor get such a harsh sermon title? Maybe he just had a bad week. Maybe he needed to get away around a fire for a week. Or maybe he got it from scripture. Hebrews 10.31. It is a fearful And I put in brackets there, terrifying, dreadful, because that's what other translations use. It is a fearful, terrifying, dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, Jonathan Edwards preached this passage on July 8th, 1741. And I want to read some of this. I I tremble a bit to do this. And I, I want to, the Lord to govern my tone because this, this sermon prompted the, the great awakening and I can understand why it did. I just want to read for a few moments here from Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I stand here because it's, I can just read. The wrath of God is like great waters that are damned for the present. They increase more and more and rise higher and higher till an outlet is given. And the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty is its course when once it is let loose. It is true that judgment against your evil works has not been executed hitherto. The flood of God's vengeance has been withheld. But your guilt in the meantime is constantly increasing and you are every day treasuring up more wrath. The waters are constantly rising and waxing more and more mighty, and there is nothing but the mere pleasure of God that holds the waters back that are unwilling to be stopped and press hard to go forward. If God should only withdraw his hand from the floodgate, it would immediately fly open, and the fiery floods of the fierceness and wrath of God would rush forth with inconceivable fury and would come upon you with omnipotent power. And if your strength were 10,000 times greater than it is, yea, 10,000 times greater than the strength of the stoutest, sturdiest devil in hell, it would be nothing to withstand or endure it. The bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Thus all that, all you that never passed under a great change of heart by the mighty power of the Spirit of God upon your souls, all you that were never born again and made new creatures and raised from being dead in sin to a state of new, and being altogether unexperienced, light and life are in the hands of an angry God. However you may have reformed your life in many things, and may have had religious affections, and may keep up a form of religion in your families and closets, and in the house of God, it is nothing but his mere pleasure that keeps you from being this moment swallowed up in everlasting destruction." However unconvinced you may now be of the truth of what you hear, by and by you will be fully convinced of it. 
Those that are gone from being in the like circumstances with you see that it was so with them. For destruction has come suddenly upon most of them. When they expected nothing of it, and while they were saying peace and safety, now they see that those things on which they depended for peace and safety were nothing but thin air and empty shadows. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell the last night, that you were suffered to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell since you have sat here in the house of God provoking his pure eyes by your sinful, wicked manner of attending his solemn worship. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you do not this very moment drop down into hell. O sinner, consider the fearful fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit, full of the fire of wrath, that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. And you have no interest in any mediator and nothing to lay hold of to save yourself, nothing to keep off the flames of wrath, nothing your own, nothing that you have ever done, nothing that you can do to induce God to spare you one moment. It would be dreadful to suffer the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God one moment, but you must suffer it to all eternity. There will be no end to this exquisite, horrible misery. When you look forward, you will see a long forever, a boundless duration before you, which will swallow up your thoughts and amaze your soul. And you will absolutely despair of ever having any deliverance, any end, any mitigation, any rest at all. You will know certainly that you must wear out long ages, millions of millions of ages, in wrestling and conflicting with this almighty, merciless vengeance. And then when you have done so, when so many ages have actually been spent by you in this manner, you will know that all is but a point to what remains, so that your punishment will indeed be infinite. Oh, who can express what the state of a soul in such circumstances is? 
all that we can possibly say about it, gives but a very feeble, faint representation of it. It is inexpressible and inconceivable for who knows the power of God's anger. Beloved, God is not swooning over sinners. God is patiently withholding his wrath like the Hoover Dam holds back Lake Mead. And in a moment of time, that wrath will be released upon you and it will never end. Millions and millions of ages will pass and you will realize it is but a dot on the timeline of infinity. And you will pay for your sin forever. And here we read, listen, we must first walk through this to get here. We have peace with God. Right? For those that are in Christ. We have peace with God. The first consequence of our having peace, the first consequence of our having been justified by faith in Christ is that there is no more enmity between us and God. We were condemned already, Jesus said in John 3, 18. The most memorized verse in the Bible is John 3, 16. And some people even go so far as to go to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, right? But we never go to verse 18 when we're quoting that, where Jesus says, you are condemned already. Those who do not believe you are already condemned. But Paul says in Romans 8, 1, but now there is Therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are no longer children of wrath, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.3. We're no longer children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but we have been adopted into the family of God. Those that were at war with God, those that were hanging over hell by a string as the children of wrath have been invited into God's house and given a seat at the table and have become heirs of Christ, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Do you even grasp what has happened? We are, instead of being children of wrath, we are now Children of promise, Galatians 4.28. From children of wrath to children of promise, from, from, uh, from condemned already to no condemnation, we have peace with God. And this peace with God was initiated not by us. This is so important. We did not initiate this peace treaty. God was not waiting for us to simply 
walk down the aisle and say, okay, fine, I, I, I'll accept your peace treaty. No, God initiated the peace between you and him without your input, without your volition, without your permission. And thank the Lord that he did. Because since he did, first of all, we never would, but since he did, we have the assurance that he will never again declare war on us. The bow of God's wrath will never be turned again to our hearts. Christian, you need to hear this clearly. God will never again go to war with you. He looks at you in Christ and he smiles. He loves. There is peace between you and Almighty God. When Jesus gathered his disciples together in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed, he leaves his final words of encouragement. He gives them a parting gift. And what was the parting gift? It was not silver and gold. He had not that. But instead, he gives them, he says, peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, do I give you peace. Jesus Christ gives us peace with God. On the cross, the next day, Jesus cried out in John 19, 30, it is finished, tetelestai. It is finished. What is finished? What is finished? He, he's finally able to, okay, he's finally completed his ministry. Now he can get to go back home? No. The work of righteousness. The, the right and just requirement of the law has been completed in Christ. He satisfied the wrath of God. Jesus took that wrath that we are so shaken by and, and we have no clue yet. The weight of that. Jonathan Edwards, with all of those incredible lofty words, said, all we can possibly say about it gives but a very feeble, faint representation of it. So all that I have just read for you gives a feeble and faint representation of the wrath of God and Jesus Christ took upon himself the full weight of the wrath of God for us. Paul says, making peace by the blood of the cross. So we who were at one time living in rebellion against God have now been reconciled to him because of the blood of Christ. We have peace with God through Jesus. Now I want you to notice that Paul uses the full title for Jesus. He doesn't just say through, we have been justified by faith through Jesus. He says through Jesus, the, he says through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that in your Bible? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is all of these to you or none of these to you. Jesus is his name. Christ and Lord are the titles of who he is. 
Jesus is Lord and Christ. I want to step back for just one second. Go back to the beginning. It says we have been saved or we have been justified by faith. We have been justified. And because we have been justified, we have peace with God. So, so this promise that, that we, though we were objects of God's wrath, dangling over hell in the hands of an angry God, by faith, everything changes. And we now have peace with God. I think it stands to reason that we would want a clear understanding of what it means to have faith, right? Because what you think about faith and what I think about faith and what Paul means by faith might be different. And if I know that my eternal destiny hinges upon one word, faith, I want to know what faith means. Don't you? Just as Pastor Matt said last week in the previous text, faith was being fully convinced. It's not meant intellectual assent. It's, it's not enough that you come in here and you nod in agreement, yes, this happened. But rather that you personally are fully convinced that you were in need of a savior or are now and that Jesus is the savior. That Jesus is the answer to your problem. That he is the only way and there is no other way. Full stop. So what does it mean that Jesus is Christ? We have been justified by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's start with Christ. I want to start there because for most people, this is, this is what they're comfortable with. Christ, Messiah, Savior, Rescuer, Helper, Answer. He's my ticket out of hell. He's the one that that rescues me out of God's wrath. So we're comfortable with Jesus as Christ. For those who even comprehend their need, that without him, all that God has is wrath. And wrath that will never be extinguished. He certainly is that. He is Christ, he is rescuer, he is Messiah, he is savior. But he's more than that. He is Lord. He's the boss, he's the king, he's the master, he's the head. On that great day of judgment, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you have not confessed Jesus is Lord, And it's not just saying the words, you understand, right? Let's not be simple. Let's not be foolish. It is not simply mouthing Jesus is Lord. It is declaring Jesus is Lord. Those who have not declared that Jesus is Lord in this life, which leads to salvation, will declare it in the next and it will lead to eternal damnation. Jonathan Edwards said, you may not believe what you hear right now. In time, you will. My prayer and my hope is that every one of you here in this room or watching online or listening online, that now is the time that you have come to be fully convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord.
And if he's Lord at all, then he's Lord of your life. If he's Lord of the universe, he's Lord of your heart and your home. Do you understand? Paul wrote that we are justified by faith. We have been justified by faith. And in the very same letter, just a few chapters later, we'll get to it. He said, if you confess with your mouth, Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternal destruction. I'm telling you that, that you're dangling over the fires of hell by a string in the hands of an angry God. And the answer, salvation, is Jesus Christ. He continues, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Some people imagine that salvation is progressive. They think, well, okay, I will call upon Jesus as Savior, as Christ, today. And maybe 10 or 15 or 40 years later, when I've sowed all my oats and had all my fun, then I will come to know Jesus as Lord. We believe the gospel by faith and are justified. It's a point in time. Another way of saying that is that we repent of our sin. When a sinner recognizes he's sinning against an angry God and is given new life, he repents. That's the effect. And when he believes in Jesus Christ, he submits. Fully convinced of our need for Jesus and who Jesus is. When the Holy Spirit regenerates a person's heart, he takes someone who was dead in sin. That's what the Bible says about you. It says about me. I was dead in sin. You were dead in sin or you are dead in sin right now. And he makes them alive in Christ. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy. You think, well, I'm tired of hearing about the wrath of God. Unless you understand the wrath of God, you could care less about the mercy of God. It is an act of divine mercy that is inexplicable, inexpressible, that he would cause us to be born again, made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The Holy Spirit reveals two things to us. First, that we are hopelessly lost and we need a Savior. Has that happened for you yet? Have you come to understand how much you need Jesus? That you have nothing to offer God except your sin? And that what he offers to you is the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Have you gotten there? The second thing is he reveals to you that you don't get to be God anymore. Right? That is the state of fallen man. I want to be God. You want to be God. You want to decide. You want to call the shots. That's what I wanted before Christ. But in Christ, shockingly, he changes my heart. So that now I no longer want to be God. I want to serve God. I love God. Beloved brother and sister, 
I want to ask you, why has the Lord laid it upon my heart this morning to stop at verse one? I had a whole sermon prepared going through verse two. I didn't have the Jonathan Edwards sermon in my notes until this morning. Why, brother and sister, did God cause me to stop at verse one? Is it possible that one of you may have never believed the gospel and you may never hear another sermon again? And though I have no plans for this, is it possible I may never preach another sermon again? Why has the Lord stopped here? Those that were at war with God have peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you? Do you? Without blood, there is no atoning for sin, the Bible says. As we transition to communion this morning, I want to challenge you with the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to go ahead and do communion right now. Kelly, would you? Thank you. In one moment, you know whether I'm talking to you or not. Do you know Christ? Do you know Jesus, Lord and Christ? Maybe I'm talking to someone who has come for the first time this morning. Maybe I'm talking to someone who has been at this church their whole life and has presumed upon the kindness of God and does not feel the weight of the wrath of God being stored up and the trembling of the earth as the Lord prepares to let it loose upon rebels against God. Examine your heart. Give your life to Christ this moment. Believe the gospel. Admit that you need a savior. Repent of your sin and follow him. I'm doing the communion now because I want to offer a time of response as well. A time for you to come, to kneel. For those of you, no one should be offended. The only people that will be offended by such a sermon are those who harden their hearts against the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone else rejoices over what God has done for them. To hear the weight of the wrath of God has been dispelled, has been removed, has been canceled, causes us to burst out in praise. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. And those who are willing to give their lives now to Jesus should burst forth in praise and should not hold back. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we praise your holy name.
We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your sacrifice, your body broken for us to atone for our sin and to satisfy God's wrath on our behalf. Jesus, we give you our lives. Amen. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, we stand here proclaiming your death, your burial, your resurrection, and your imminent return. Be glorified. Help us now, Lord, to take this message out to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. As the worship team returns now, I want to invite you to respond. Respond to what you've just heard. Rejoice. The song we're about to sing is In Christ Alone. No, yet not I. Yet not I. Same, same concept. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Do you believe that? Worship, church. And if you need to come to know Jesus, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, submit to him as Lord, receive him as Savior, I invite you to come. If there's elders in the congregation, I invite you to come and stand with me, and this is your time to respond. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.